we're entering a new month, and with a new month, a new theme. Um, after we've been here together for a while, I think you'll begin to see there's really some thought that I try and put into this. But, you know, last month we all talked about journey. And this month, the theme I have chosen that we will talk about in each of our services is possibility. Now, what happens when someone says the word possible? The whole universe changes. Hope is born anew where despair once reigned. Light shines during paralyzing darkness. And the word possible transforms our world from a place where quit and give up held the probability to one with new potential and new open future. When we believe something is possible, it literally changes everything for us. In 1902, a Swiss journalist published a signature phrase that today we commonly associate with a children's story. I think I can. I don't know how many of you remember this children's story, the story of the engine that it could but I have fond memories of my mother sitting down and reading to myself and my twin sister the story of the engine that thought that it could. And in the story, if you remember, a train needs to be pulled up a steep hill. And while the larger engines, they refuse the task and they say, it's impossible you know, to pull such a long train up a hill. And a small engine volunteers and accomplishes the assignment the whole time reciting this motto, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And upon reaching the top, the small engine continues the journey on the other side with the pride, I thought I could, I thought I could. This story communi communicates a truth about the nature of our reality. What we believe is important. You know, we've all heard the phrase, your attitude determines your altitude, but never has that been more critical than when it comes to what is or not possible. Why is possible so powerful? I believe that believing Something to be possible changes our mentality. First, believing something to be possible rather than impossible alters our perception of reality. It changes the way that we see the universe around us. In Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons led the New England Patriots by 25 points deep into the third quarter of the game. <coughs> Un unsurmountable, and some might even say impossible, to overcome lead. But the mentality of the Patriots reflected a belief in the possibility of a coming back in what would many view as a hopeless case. After tying the game and sending it in overtime, the Patriots marched down the field and won. And about the comeback and the victory, the MVP and the star quarterback Tom Brady said, we never really felt out of it. Now, did you hear that? We never really felt out of it. That mentality is almost unbelievable. 
To be down by 25 points in the third quarter when you're only scored three points an entire game and not feel out of it reflects an attitude of possible that may even go beyond rational. Who thinks that way? Winners do. The type of mentality is a choice. This is a decision. This is a willful mindset. The attitude of possible doesn't look at what is, but rather what could be. This mind shift does more than change perceptions. It changes our actions. Believing something to be possible changes our effort. We've all seen teams or people in impossible situations, and maybe we've been in possible situations ourselves, and we know what that feels like. The demoralization, the defeat, it wears on someone like a heavy rain-soaked cloak, slumped shoulders, head down, a lack of effort. These are signs of impossible, but add a spark of possible and everything changes. Heads begin to rise, shoulders move back, and the addition of possible puts steely determination into our eyes. We give more, we do more, we go beyond our capabilities because we believe in possible, because we believe. Now, I've asked myself the question many times, how is it that people seem to do the impossible? For years, no one thought that it was possible to run a mile in under four minutes. This was simply an impossible for a human being. However, on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister did that. He beat the four-minute mile, and what took centuries to accomplish was done only two months later by Bannister and Australia's John Landy. So now what was an impossible has now become common. The four-minute mile now has become the standard instead of a once unreachable goal. Believing in the possibility of an accomplishment changed the effort not only of one man, but of every runner from that point on. If you believe it can be done, you give more than you thought you could give. You do more than you thought you could do. And a more powerful effort has effects. Believing something to be possible changes our results. A change in mentality and a renewed effort changes the outcome. What was once impossibility becoming reality. We look at history and it abounds with stories of impossibles being proven wrong. From reaching the South Pole, to climbing Mount Everest, to landing on the moon, stories of people doing the impossible is abundant. But there's an even more important point. Even if we don't accomplish the impossible in the actual task, we have accomplished the impossible inside of ourselves. We have grown. We have gone beyond our own limitations. We have moved ourselves forward on our own personal journey, breaking the boundaries which have held our thoughts and actions captive for so long. We have reached a land inside ourselves we never could have dreamed 
possible is a partner that takes us to places we could never go by ourselves. Possible gives us new courage to face our fears. Possible gives us strengths to persevere. Possible enables us to transform our failures from dead-end destinations into success journeys. I can't guarantee you much in life, but I can guarantee you this. If you believe it to be impossible, you will never get there. But with the possible by your side, you one day may arrive. What I hear in the phrase, open possibilities, I see it as an acknowledgement that the future can be estimated, but it cannot be completely predictable. Every moment is new, and because we have freedom, we can choose what we do in the face of the new. So what does it mean to be a people of possibility? The topic today is most central to our faith, and here's why. It has distinguished Universalist Unitarians from the start. Historically, when others saw depravity and sin at the core of our human identity, we saw potential. When many were preaching that the world was fallen and we should look instead to the hope of an afterlife, we found ourselves falling in love with the possibility of creating a beloved community, a heaven on earth. Theologically, you might say that we were the people that believed that God hadn't given up on any of us, and so we shouldn't give up on each other or this world. Psychologically, it led us to being a people of why not? Why not give people another chance? Why not fight what seems like a losing battle? Why not risk a little failure? After all, to us, the possible has always seemed more likely than not. So that's our religion, that's in our history. It's in the history also of this congregation. But what about you? What about us personally? How open have you been recently to the phrase, why not? How is your faith in possibility doing? As we honor our religion's trust in what's possible, we need to allow space for the reality that trusting possibility isn't so easy for many of us. When I think of possibility, I think of all the people and opportunities many times we sometimes close the door on. Such as, I'll never see eye to eye with my neighbor. I couldn't possibly leave this job to start my own business. I will never have close friends like I had where I used to live. And I'll never really make a difference, so why bother? We tell ourselves so many things about who we and others are, and we know that that's not really because we're pessimistic. More often than not, it's about protecting ourselves. There's comfort in convincing yourself that the work is hopeless. That way you don't have to try and risk failure, hurt, or disappointment. All of which is to say that maybe being a people of possibility has more to do with being a people of vulnerability and courage. The work isn't just about believing in possibility, 
It's about being willing to endure a few wounds along the way. It can hurt to be hopeful, especially when all that is going on in our world and society right now, we need to make room for that. So maybe the question is, are you ready to lean into possibility? But who's beside you and who are you bringing along? Who have you gathered to patch and pick you up when the path gets bumpy? After all, no one makes it down the road of possibility alone, and perhaps that's the real secret. Remembering that, why not, is something we all have to say together. Why not? So when we look at our lives around us in the world and consider the future, we need to sort our thoughts into categories. Is something real or is it an illusion? Is it possible or is it impossible? Could it have happened or was it made up? Could we do it? How many of you have ever heard the story from the New Testament of the loaves and fishes? Now this story only appears in Mark and Matthew and it refers to seven loaves and a few small fishes used by Jesus to feed a multitude. And according to the crowd, a large crowd had gathered and Jesus you know, called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me. I do not want to send them away hungry. And his disciples answered, well, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And Jesus responded, how many loaves do you have? Five, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the five loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, broke them. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now, the story of the loaves and fishes highlights this proclivity. I would venture to guess that many of you hearing that story thought to yourself, well, that's impossible. You know, it could never have happened. And obviously, I'm not here to prove to you that it happened, but that it was just reported in the Bible. Nor would I try to convince you of the literal truth of that story, whether it happened or didn't happen. But what if we let go of the reaction of did it happen or didn't it? Could it have happened or not? And suspended our disbelief, how would we hear the story differently if we simply lived in the possibility? Just when we're trying to figure out how the magician does the trick when we focus on his perceived reality of a situation, we miss out on the experience of the event and the meaning of the moment. So I propose to you that when Jesus fed the 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and fishes, the story of the loaves and fishes is a story of a victory over faith, over fear. You know, disciples thought they would have a riot on their hands, and they were convinced that they couldn't help the people. And so the story of the loaves and fishes is a lesson in moving from a mentality of scarcity, where we believe there isn't enough to go around, to an attitude of abundance, where all needs will be met and where all things are possible. What would it be like to live in possibility? If we believe that all things are possible, how would that change our thinking in our lives? 
What is possible here in this church? What would the church be to you if all things were possible? Think for a moment. Would we have thousands of members while still retaining a friendly family feel? Would we have a 150-voice choir with an equally large children? Would we operate a shelter that houses, feeds, and clothes hundreds of people? Would we adopt families in war-torn regions? I would submit to you today that no matter what you hope, no matter what you dream, no matter what you desire for yourself and for this church community, all things are possible. All things are possible. Let me be clear, although I'm encouraging to live in possibility and to experience the magic moments that this wonderful community creates, I'm not suggesting that we begin in magical thinking. I have a plaque that says, faith makes things possible, it doesn't make them easy. <laughs> so there's hard work ahead for us to begin to live in our possibility. Change, transition, and even conflicts are inevitable. But I am convinced that with the firm foundation on which this church is built, our future here is one of limitless possibilities and potentialities. Maureen Williamson famously said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Who are you not to be? Your plain small does not serve the world. I invite you to live into the possibility that is our church, however you may envision it, because all really reality begins first in possibility. The Buddhist teacher and author Jack Kornfeld noted the phenomena in a book called After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. He writes about the struggle we have, the ideal of perfection or a perfect enlightenment against the reality of our lives. How do we translate those moments of peace, grace, and compassion, moments of seeing the abundant possibilities of living? How do we translate those moments into our imperfect lives? The world we live in often seems organized against us in this effort. For me, I find myself easily distracted from things that I wish to focus on. With the best intentions, I envision myself sitting down to read a book or to study, and I plan to write in a journal, and I try, intend to spend time focused on other things, and I want to listen to more music and work on maybe even learning to play a musical instrument. And I plan to walk in the woods or take a walk anywhere, and then I get out of bed. <laughs> And as my feet hit the floor, there are all those things I needed to get done before I could focus on the plans of the day. The morning rituals of showering, preparing for the day, the double check of kids' homework, the dogs need to be fed, which reminds me I need to be fed, which reminds me that we're out of milk, that I need to go to the grocery store which compels me to make a menu for the week and determine what else I need at the store, and by the way, the car still needs gas. 
And now I remember that I need to take the car for oil change. And speaking about change, I have all those jars of loose change I need to take to the bank so I can exchange them for bills. And don't forget the dry cleaning to the laundry and pick up last week's. And then I need to email my sister, which then causes me to respond to dozens of emails and following links and get in the tangle of the internet. And before I realize it, the kids have returned from school, they need help with their homework, dinner needs to get started, and sigh, I am in the den once more. But it is not all bad. Sometimes, not often as I would wish, but sometimes I can find the time to sit in silence for 20 minutes or so. I can write a bit in a journal. I can read more than three sentences from a book. And this is far from a practice for a discipline because the next day, I will probably veer off into the noise again. I veer off in despair that I will never be able to sustain the sense of freedom and abundance, but at least I am trying the possible. In the opening pages of Jack Cornfield's book, he tells the story of an entry into a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. And as a novice monk, he was instructed to bow to his elders. And when asked who his elders were, he was told that elders included all who were older than himself and those who had become monks before him, even if it was a day. And he quickly realized that that meant everyone. And so he resented having to bow to those he did not see as elders. Young monks who were only there to maybe please their parents, others who he did not see as great masters. And within the internal conflict, he decided <coughs> to try and make it work. And with each bow, he began to look for something in the other person that was worthy of reverence. The wrinkles in the old farmer's eyes, the vitality and playfulness in the younger monks, and the incredible possibilities he saw in each of their lives. And with a change of perspective, with his opening of their heart, he began to enjoy bowing as a way of finding the abundance of life in everything around him, noting that if it moved, I bow to it. The true task of a spiritual life is not found in the faraway places or unusual states of conscience. It is here in the present. It asks of us to be a welcoming spirit to greet all that life presents to us with a wise, respectful, and kindly heart. We can bow to both the beauty and the suffering to our entanglements and confusion, to our fears, and to the injustice of the world. Perhaps, then, you and I can learn together how to bow to the abundance of our days as they are. If we look for it, we can find that which is worthy of reverence in each moment of our busy lives. In the din of us, business and distraction, perhaps we can even hear that which is praiseworthy in our living. To do so, we must first learn to bow. And I don't we need to literally, but bow, although you're welcome to do it if you wish, I mean that we must cultivate a practice. A practice that opens the doors of possibility of seeing the life you are living in new abundance. I invite you today to claim today as the most holy of days where within you give yourself a gift. The gift of being present in your own life. A holy day because you are here, alive 
and held in love in this church, in this community on this day. This is a community that instead of being organized against us, it helps us. Much of the world would appear to be here we create the conditions for growth, to lovingly, compassionately support each other in all of the possibilities that lie within each of us. I invite you then to allow yourself to be supported by this community and to find each day a container of possibility. And since much possibility for the work we will all do together during this time of transition. We will be challenged to grow and to learn, and yet this is a time of transition, a time of tremendous possibility. May we find ways each day to minister to each other and remain engaged in the task of transforming not only ourselves, but our community and beyond. May it be so.